0: Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 8, shall we? John chapter 8. And um, we looked at uh, the chapter 7 two weeks ago, and we we talked about why why Jesus said such a straight testimony, and um, whether we're living in God's time or not. And uh, once again, we, we in John chapter 8, we come to a familiar story, and we're coming back to a theme that's been recurring over and over again throughout the book of John. But uh, John chapter 8 starts with a very familiar story. It's the, it's the only place that we find this story mentioned, and it's the woman that's caught in adultery in the very act. And we're not going to look at much of it. It's just an introduction, really, to this whole chapter, but... It was the the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees that caught Mary Magdalene, as it's commonly known. She was caught in the very act of sleeping with another man, and she was dragged through the streets half-naked, battered and bruised, and thrown at the feet of Jesus. And the priests were hoping to catch Jesus in trying to disregard either the law of Moses or disregard the law of the Romans. And so, they asked Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery, and according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. What do you say? And um, he just simply started writing in the sand. And he just lifted up his head and and said, he that is without sin, in verse 7, let him cast the first stone at her. And um, obviously, no one was without sin, but I want you to look at what verse 8 and 9 talks about. I know that we can probably go in depth into a lot of uh, lessons, but we're really looking at an overview as to how this story fits with what we're looking at here in John chapter 8. But in verse 8, Jesus again, it says, He stooped down and He wrote on the ground. And in verse 9, it says, And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one beginning at the eldest even unto the last and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst you know what was Jesus doing when he was writing on the sand he was writing the sins of every single person that was standing there that was condemning this woman beginning with the oldest even unto the youngest and they all left one by one by one and you know what Jesus was really doing he was proving once again His divinity. He was proving the fact that, look, I could read not just your heart, but the the whole life record of what you have been involved in. And He wrote those sins out one by one, and the people, they were convicted by their own conscience. They realized that Jesus was more than human, and before He wrote any more, they quickly left. So, at the very beginning of this chapter in John chapter 8, once again, Jesus is proving that He is God. He is more than human, and that He could read their hearts. But now, I want us to pick it up in verse 12. So, after people leave, after the woman leaves, there's still a crowd that's hanging around, and Jesus begins to speak to them. In verse 12, the Bible says, then Jesus spake again unto them, saying, "I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Now, once again, Jesus is taking his claim to be God. He says, "I am the light of the world." And obviously, literally, the light of the world was what? It was the sun. He's telling them, I am the one that gives life. I'm the one that was at the very beginning there in creation. I was before any of you ever existed. And then, John chapter 8 and verse 23, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles there, John eight twenty three, He says, you are from beneath, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. Throughout this chapter, Jesus is once again trying to prove that He is what? He is God. And in this chapter, we get an answer as to why Jesus seems to keep trying to prove this over and over and over again. Jesus, what is it with you and your obsession to try to prove to the world that you are God? What is so important about this fact that we have to believe that Jesus is God? Let's come back a bit earlier and um, we want to look at verse… Sorry, it's not a bit earlier. It is in verse 25. So, we're there in verse 23. And um, the Pharisees, they asked Him, they said unto Him, Who are you? And this really is the foundation of a message that we're looking at this morning. And I want to look at it in two points here. Number one… To us, who is Jesus? But also this morning, I'm going to ask you that question as well. Who are you? Who are you as you sit here this morning, as you're sitting here in church? Are you a child of God? Are you a follower of Christ? Are you a Christian? Who are you? But the Pharisees, you see, they were asking this question not because they didn't know who Jesus was, but let me give you the background as to why they asked Jesus, who are you? To the Pharisees, the rulers and rulers, this claim seemed an arrogant assumption that a man like themselves should make such pretensions they could not tolerate. Seeming to ignore his words, they demanded, Who art thou? They were bent upon forcing him to declare himself the Christ. His appearance and his work were at so at variance with the expectations of the people that, as His wily enemies believed, a direct announcement of Himself as a Messiah would cause Him to be rejected as what? As an imposter. Look, at the very beginning of the chapter, Jesus already proves that He is more than human. He can read the minds of the men that were surrounding Him. He could even read their life record. He knew what they were doing and what they had done. He proved that He was more than just a human being. He proved that He was divine. At the very beginning of His speech after that, He says, I'm the light of the world. And not just that, He reinforces it again by saying, you're of this world, but I'm not. He tells them very plainly. But now they want a confession from Him to make it so clear that you are the Messiah. And why? Because you see, the people's expectation of the Messiah was not who Jesus was. The Messiah to them was a king. The Messiah to them was the one that would break them from the the Roman yoke that had held them fastened under bondage. They were expecting a king that would lead them back to the glorious days of King David and King Solomon. That was to them who the Messiah was to be. And already two chapters earlier, Jesus told them, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. It was a spiritual kingdom that I'm trying to set up. And the people, they kind of didn't really get it yet. And so they wanted a confession from Jesus to outrightly say, I am the Messiah. And they thought that if this would happen, everyone would just reject Him. You see that? So now, verse 25, we read, who are you? And Jesus says to them, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I, verse 26, have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true, and I speak of the, to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. So, even at this point, they did not understand what he was saying. Verse 28, and Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things, and He that sent Me is with Me. The Father hath not left Me alone, for I do always those things that pleased Him. And as He spake these words, many people what? Many people believed on Him. The more Jesus spoke, the more they began to believe, the more they had this conviction that Jesus really was the promised one. And now, verse 31, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? So as Jesus is talking about the truth, and he's saying the truth shall set you free, the Pharisees are sitting there like, why do we have to be free? Free from what? We were never in bondage. But you see, even that statement in and of itself was incorrect. Right there as they stood, the Romans were the ones that were ruling over them. They had never been in bondage. They forgot that Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem and that they were in Jerusalem in captivity for 70 years, and only then they had to come out and rebuild the temple and everything. And maybe it was more of their hatred that caused them to say this. They despised every single word that Jesus said, even though it was absolutely true. And here's Jesus' reply, verse 34, Jesus said, "'Verily, verily, I say to you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever.'" You know, Jesus showed that they were in bondage of even of a worse sort, not just the Romans. He never mentioned the Romans. But the bondage that he was referring to was the bondage of sin that they were so clearly trapped in. And that's why they were wanting to murder Jesus. That's why they hated Christ so much. And you know, Jesus showed them how dangerous really sin was. Do you know, friends, that when we sin, we become in bondage to it? You know what bondage is? You're tied up. You're trapped. Do you know sin is not something that we just simply choose? When we make that choice, it catches us and it holds us fast and tight. Many of us actually don't realize how dangerous sin is. Look at what Sister White talks about in Desire of Ages 466, paragraph 3. Look at this. Every soul that refuses to give himself to God is under the control of another power. He is not His own." Do you see that? You may talk of freedom, but He's in the most abject slavery. He is not allowed to see the beauty of truth, for His mind is under the control of Satan. While he flatters himself that he is following the dictates of his own judgment, he obeys the will of the prince of darkness. Christ came to break the shackles of sin, slavery from the soul. You know, we might think that we are free, And we may talk of freedom, but Ellen White says that when we give ourselves over to sin, we are in the most abject slavery. And this is how deceptive sin really is. Do you know that? Because we may talk of freedom, we may think that we're free, and Satan allows us to think that. But sin is the one that entraps us and keeps us in bondage, and it makes us do things, as Romans chapter 7 says, that we hate, but yet we still do it. That is how dangerous sin really is. And, you know, to be caught in a hopeless situation, that's what sin really is. It's the worst feeling in the world, friends. Do you know that? To be trapped in a maze of our own doing is something that keeps many people awake at night. And to think that there's no way out, that's what really begins to destroy men and women's lives. You know, a person standing over a body of a dead person they just killed, hopeless. A teenage girl holding the test that comes out positive when she's pregnant caught in a hopeless situation, dishonest practices in business and the government comes knocking and you're owing hundreds and thousands and millions of dollars and you're sitting up sleepless at night. You know, maybe that that doesn't describe you. You're not in such an extreme case, gambling away all the savings and not having to, now having to run and sell all that you have, having no money left to your name and in debt and bankrupt a drunk husband coming home every night, beating up the wife and the kids. You know, these are extreme cases, and maybe some of you never experienced it. But those are the extremities of sin that I think some of us, we don't realize, or we think that we're not like that even though we do sin. But sin is so deceptive that it makes us think we're free when we're really not. Maybe you're sitting here saying to yourself, you know what? I can stop working on Sabbath anytime I want to, or taking calls. You know, that's just my choice. I just choose to do it. I've seen young people come to church and they're playing their games and said, I know the reason why I play this. It's just I'm bored. I can stop anytime I want. Even when we're looking at pornography, some of us we, we think, yeah, I can just stop it's not really enslaving me. I can stop whenever I want. I can stop smoking whenever I want. We, we think that as we sit here, even this morning, we, we think that we have that willpower to just do it, and that the reason why we continue to, to live and be in sin is because of our own choice. But many of us realize that we're caught in a web of sin, Many of us don't realize that when we cry out and we want to be free, that it really isn't of our own choosing anymore. You know, friends, Jesus came to set us free from sin. Let's go to John chapter 8 and now verse 36. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It is only through Jesus, the Son of God, that we can be free, free from sin, free from its deception, free from its enchantment and its holding power upon our lives. Jesus is the only one, and this is the reason why Jesus has to help us to understand that He is the Son of God. Why? Because the law that was broken that causes us to sin was made by a God that is so holy in the heavens. And when we break this law, the one that who made it being God Himself, none other power can break us free from that. Do you realize that? When we break the law of God, an angel cannot help us. When we break the law of God, no human on this earth can help us. When we break the law of God, no perfect human in all the universe that ever has lived can help us. When we break the law of God, only that which is equal with the law can help us. Do you understand that? Maybe we don't. Let me give you a a different situation, okay? When we break the laws of Malaysia... Now, let's not think about how normal, normal Malaysia government works, okay? When you break the law in Malaysia, who can help you? Can a datuk help you? Yes or no? No. Who can help you? If you break a law in Malaysia and you want to get out of that law, who can help you? Who is equal to that law in Malaysia? The judge. Only the judge can help you. Do you understand that? No doctor, no lawyer, not even the best and most perfect human being in Malaysia can help you. Do you understand that? Only one equal to the law can help you. And so when we break the law of God only one that is equal to the law of God can help us. And the only one that has ever come to this earth that has been equal to the law of God is Jesus Christ. And this is why Jesus has been trying so hard to help them to see that I am God. Why? Because I'm the only one that can help you with your sin problem. Do you see that? He's not trying to prove it just to show that He's good. Jesus has been trying to prove throughout the book of John that I am God. Why? Because you got to see a situation that you're in. You're in a hopeless situation, and no one in this whole nation, not a Pharisee, not even the high priest himself, can help you. And so that's why now in John chapter 8 he tells you he tells them you're in bondage you're in bondage than the worst of the worst sort more than just being in bondage to the romans So over and over again let's go to verse 56 He's trying to prove that he is God John 8:56 Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. You know, he he points them all the way back to the father Abraham, the father of faith, and how he was instructed to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he said, Abraham was glad to see me. Verse 57, then said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And that word, I am, was given to God when God met with Moses at the burning bush. Do you know that? And he, and he asked Moses, I want you to lead the children of Israel out. And Moses, at the end, finally said, okay, God, what's your name? What shall I tell them? Who was the one that called me to come and lead them out? And he said what? I am that I am. You know, this really is probably the only time that Jesus ever says this. In the Gospel of John, yes, He says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the door. I am the bread of life. There, I am the good shepherd. He, he, he has seven I am's in the Gospel of John, but none so clear as this one. Because in the other times when Jesus says, I am the door, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, He doesn't stop and say, I am. He says, I am the bread of life. You understand that? But here in verse 58, he just simply says, Before Abraham was, I am. There is no clearer passage in the whole of John where Jesus now makes a very clear claim I am God. He takes that name that is so holy that was only given to God, and he says, That was me. Friends, I don't know if you realize this, but the person that was speaking to Moses in the burning bush was Jesus. Do you know that? It wasn't God the Father, it was Jesus Christ. How many of you did not know this before? Who didn't know that the the burning bush was Jesus? Do you know that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud was Jesus? It was not the Father. Have you been aware of that? All the interactions that God has had with man since Adam fell has been through Jesus Christ. The one that led them through the wilderness, that was Jesus Christ. The one that came and spoke to Lot and to Abraham. Sorry, not Lot, it was just Abraham. That was Jesus. All the interactions that God has had with man on this earth since we sinned has been through Jesus, and it has been of It has been necessary because no man can see God and live, but we can see Jesus. And so, Jesus now brings the whole, whole crowd there that's standing there that are Jews, and He says, you know, I spoke to Moses. That was me. And you know what happens at the very end there? Verse 59, "...then took they up stones to cast at Him." But Jesus hid Himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Friends, Jesus could not put Himself any lower. He was God in the flesh. Why? Because the law that was broken demanded someone at an equal level to redeem them and save them and excuse them, in a sense, to cleanse them of all their sins. It was the man who Jesus Christ, and there was no other. He was God. He was the Savior. He has all the power, and He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only one that can set us free. And today, He wants to set you free. And you know, friends, I want to ask you this question. Who are you? Because we know who Jesus is, but the question that we have to ask ourselves today is who are we? Are you a child of the kingdom or are you the child of the devil? Is your father God in heaven or is your father the devil, Satan? How do we know? In John chapter 8, he gives us some clues, some separations between the children of the kingdom and the children of darkness. Let's go to John chapter 8 and verse 44. John chapter 8 and verse 44. Let's turn the Bibles there. John 8 verse 44, the Bible says, "'You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth." because there is no truth in Him. When He speaketh a lie, He speaketh of His own, for He is a liar and the Father of it. Friends, you know, if you are a liar, God is not your Father. That's pretty clear, isn't it? At least let's go with what's obvious. And it says there is no truth in Him. So, what does that mean? Let's go over to verse 32 of John chapter 8. So, number one, if you're a liar, if you're breaking the Ten Commandments, basically that's the first thing that Jesus points out, a murderer or a liar. But now, verse 32, John 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. So, we have to have an interaction with the Word of God. If we are to be children of the kingdom, we're to be sons of God and daughters of God, there must be truth abiding in us, and truth cannot be abiding in us unless we ourselves put that word in our hearts and minds. If that's clear, please say amen, okay? Verse 47, he that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear him not, because you are not of God. So, the separation there, similar to the truth, we have to hear the word of God. Okay? So, you've got to keep the commandments. You've got to have an interaction with the word of God, not just on the Sabbath, but throughout the week as well. John chapter 8, verse 34. John 8, verse 34. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is what? The servant of sin. And so that's opposite to also keeping the commandments of God. And lastly, John chapter eight, verse forty of pardon me, fifty-one. John eight, fifty-one, the Bible says, Verily, verily I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall what? Never see death. You know, friends, it's not enough just to know the truth. It's not enough just to have an interaction with the truth. We have to live it as well. Jesus said to the Pharisees, if you were of Abraham's seed, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. If you really were in the truth, you wouldn't be trying to murder me and kill me constantly. And of course, they denied it. Who's trying to murder you? We're not trying to murder you, Jesus. Lying as well. So, by their fruits you shall know them. But it's a very simple equation that Jesus has given us. Keep the commandments, have interaction with the truth, and then not only that, you've got to live the truth. Friends, let me say it simply. This morning, as you're sitting here, if there is something you know that is truth and you're not doing, you're a child of the devil. Are you with me? You might not agree... You might think I'm being harsh, but it's God's Word, not mine. Do you see that? But here's the thing. The problem we have today is not we don't believe in Jesus as God. I think all of us believe that Jesus is God, right? Yeah? Some of you seem not sure. (laughs) Do we believe that Jesus is God? Raise your hands. Yeah? So, I I don't think that's our struggle. I think our struggle is whether we think we're a child of the devil or not. Look, the sooner you think or realize whether you're the child of the devil or not, the better. If you're sitting here and go, wait a minute, I'm not obeying the truth. I'm not living it. I'm not keeping God's commandments. If you will admit to the simple fact that you're a child of the devil, there is hope for you. Amen. There's hope. Why? Because Jesus is the one that has come to set us free from sin and death. He's the one that came to set us free from the devil himself. But the challenge that we are facing today is how much we really need a Savior. Because I don't think any of us have stood there over a dead body and go, What have I done? I need a Savior. I don't think it takes much convincing to realize that what you did was bad. Yeah? I don't think many of us, if any of us, have sat there in the, in the bathroom after, with this pregnancy test at the age of 16 going, what have I done? And once again, it doesn't take much convincing for a person to say, hey, that was bad. That was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. You know, many of us, we come to church well dressed and nice, and we look at ourselves in the mirror and go, I'm not that bad. The biggest challenge that we're facing today in our day and age is not the same issue that we see in John chapter 8. Oh, Jesus, you're not God. And when He says He's God, we're going to stow in Him. That's not the challenge that we're facing today. The relevance of what we're facing today is that the generation that we live in today calls light darkness and darkness light. Let me give you an example. We don't think homosexuality is a sin. We don't think that lying is a sin. White lies are okay, just here and there, for good cause. We don't think that breaking the Sabbath is a sin. What do I mean by that? Well, yeah, some of us don't think. We, we go out to eat on Sabbath. We buy things on the Sabbath day. We make others work for us on the Sabbath. We call light darkness and darkness light until it affects us personally. AIDS, STDs. Get to go pregnant you become a teenage father. Until we break the Sabbath and uh, we eat out and then uh, somehow life makes a turn for the worse and, oh, no, I I know I shouldn't have done that. And somehow our conscience then comes alive, you know. But the biggest challenge that we face is our utter helplessness in our life some of us have never faced it. Some of us have never gotten to that point that sin has just broken us or we feel broken. Some of you have never been operated on in a hospital before. Some of you, some of you have never been in a, in a car accident. Some of you never understand what it means to look at your money and I have no money left or check it twice and three times and you go without food for a few days. Some of us have never experienced the utter bottomlessness of sin and its helplessness. And then if we do, we would cry out to God, isn't it? Some of us have never had that experience before. And so we debate with God. We debate with the preacher as to what is right and what is wrong. Why? Because we don't want to keep it. And me not keeping it doesn't really affect me. You know what I mean? Have you ever seen a person go out and eat on Sabbath afternoon and get struck by lightning? I've never seen it. In actual fact, they seem to live a good life, a better life, a more fun life, a happier life. You know what I mean? We, 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 don't, we don't seem to think about these things, and so that's why we debate about with God because we've never realized our utter helplessness. We think that I can just keep the Sabbath when I want, that the choice is mine to keep it, not because the devil is making me break it. You understand what I'm saying? Many of us, we think that I can delete my games anytime. I know they're bad, but they're not affecting my life at all. Do you see that? Are you with me? Some of us, we, men, they say women are indulging in it more, but some of us, we get caught up with pornography, but we don't see the side effects of it. So then we think it's not bad. Do you realize that? We don't understand the utter helplessness that we can feel when we're caught in sin. I don't think many of us have ever come to that point. And so our hearts do not cry out to God, help me, save me, or I perish. You know, friends, what is it that can bring us to the point of our need? What is it that can make us realize and open our eyes? What trial do we have to go through before we would cling ever to the feet of Jesus? What experience do we have to go through? Does it have to be rock bottom? Did Abel hit rock bottom before he was faithful to God? No. Did Enoch hit rock bottom before he became faithful to God? No. Did Noah hit rock bottom before he became faithful to God? No. What is it? It's simply an interaction with the truth. It's all it is. If we would take a good look in the mirror and we come to that realization that we're a child of the devil... God can help us today. How? The only condition upon which the freedom of man is possible is that of becoming one with Christ. The truth shall make you free, and Christ is the truth. We have to come back to an interaction with the truth. Same book, chapter 15. This is fast becoming my favorite chapter in all the Bible. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. That sounds very much like being one with Christ. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. My dear brothers and sisters, it is impossible to bear fruit for the glory of God. It is impossible to keep the commandments of God unless Jesus Himself is abiding in us. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, Ye can do nothing. My dear brothers and sisters, we have to let Jesus in today. I'm going back to the basics today. Why? You ask, John. Why did he bring it up at this time? Maybe it is a truth so simple that we've overlooked. Let me tell you, I've overlooked it. I've recently been reading this book. It's called Abide in Jesus. It's a very small book. It's four chapters long, and you know, the, 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 the author talks about this one chapter of what it means to surrender to Christ. You know, I've, I've talked about this a lot when I'm in Bible studies, and you know, all that have studied with me, you can attest to this, one chapter a day. That's what I always say, you know. And you know the, you know, the, common, um, the common experience I have when I study with people? I'll come back next week. So how was your chapter a day? 9.5 times out of 10. It's like that. Getting there, pastor. (laughs) uh, Once a week, better than nothing, right? You know, all sorts of responses, right? And you know what I do when they go like that? I go, these people are not serious. You know? That's been my common... Push. When I've studied with people, when I've preached, we got to spend that one chapter a day, five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, whatever time, God will take it, right? But that's not what it means to surrender. When we surrender to Christ, then the possibility to read the Bible becomes easier. What is surrender? What does it mean To abide in Christ is to invite Him in. And for that reason alone, I believe that many of us have never invited Christ into our hearts and lives before. That's why we still struggle with sin. That's why some of us are still struggling with sin, the same sin, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years later. We've come to church. We've tried reading the Bible. We've been praying, but we've been praying for the wrong thing. We've been praying to resist temptation. But if we pray to let Jesus in, Lord, I just let you into my life today. He will begin to change our desires. He's the one that will begin to change our tastes and we don't have to resist, we just have to follow now. It's a different path that Jesus leads us on. It's not just a lifelong of resistance of that which is bad. It just sounds so horrible, isn't it? But you know, I've been vegetarian for 16 years. I'm not resisting meat every day. Do you understand that? I'm like, ah, stay away from me. That's not, no, Jesus has changed my heart. He changed my life and it's no longer I have to resist. The desire is just not there. And He can do that with everything bad in our life from smoking to drugs to pornography to cursing to lying to breaking the Sabbath to the game that you have on your phone. He can help you to not even have the desire for it anymore so that you don't have to wake up every morning, God, please don't let me install that game on my phone. You don't have to pray that. If you will just let Jesus in. Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's waiting for you to invite him in. He's waiting for you to open the door. Do you know what opening the door is? It's not surrender. It's just I give you permission. I give you permission to rip the game out of my hand. Do you, do you understand that? It's like I open the door, please Jesus help me. I can't do it. If it was up to me, I would never do it. I give you permission. And that's kind of like surrender, but the human heart will never go, here, Jesus, take my bad game. Take my smoking. Take my lying. Take my breaking of the Sabbath. The human heart does not do that. Jesus is knocking. And he says, you just got to open the door. If you open the door, I'll do everything else. Amen? <laughs> if we would just open the door. And that's all I'm asking you to do today. I'm not asking you to promise Jesus a righteous life. Only He can give it. I'm not asking you to promise that you're never going to do something ever again. Only Jesus can help you with that. What I'm asking you to do today is maybe something that you might have never ever done in your life, and that is just Jesus Jesus. I'm opening the door. Please come in. And do for me that which I cannot do for yourself. I've been trying for months, for years, and I can't break it. If you want to be free, freedom can only be found in Christ. But you got to be willing to just open the door. And when you're willing to do that, Jesus will do the rest. Let's stand for our closing song. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Tell Him that right from the very heart of hearts that you're going to say, Father, I can't do it. So just here's my simple cry. And by singing this song, I'm opening the door of my heart for Jesus to come in. Let's sing, shall we? That's where the work has to be done, friends. It's right here. It's nothing on the outside. It's nothing that you're going to promise this coming week. It's nothing that you're going to do in this outward flesh. But it's what Jesus has to do here. And all I'm asking for you to, to do is to say, Lord, I want you in my heart today. It's just there. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know the outcome. I just know that if you're going to be there, everything else will be all right. If that's you, come forward. If that's your desire, you want to tell Christ, Lord, I want to surrender my heart to you. I just want to open the door. Just come forward. Tell Christ you want it more than anything else. And you will see amazing miracles. You will see the changes. You will see struggles that will no longer be struggles. Why? Because it's no longer you living there. It's Christ living in and through you. Who else? Come forward. Tell Christ, Lord, maybe I've been an Adventist for so many years but I realize that I've been struggling in the wrong way and now I know why that I've been struggling with sin all this time it's because you've always been a mental image in our picture of someone who can help but I've never let you in to help if that's you, just come forward come forward come, come to the front anyone else tell Jesus, Lord I want you in my heart anyone else There's no theory behind this. It's not the Word of God. It's just simply you and Christ. And you're saying, Lord, I'm opening the door. That's all coming forward is showing. Anyone else? Come. Come. And then we're going to pray. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters that's come forward. Lord, we've never opened the door of our hearts. You've been knocking. We've been hearing the voice. We've been convicted even by that which is wrong and that which is right. But we've been struggling. And today, Lord, we want to be new. We want to be different. We want to be like Christ. And it's not anything on the outside, Lord. It's only as you live in an, in us and through us that the change will begin to take place. So Father, please, be with all of us here, especially those that have come forward. We desire a new heart, and you can only do that as you come in and clean it. You gotta take away, not just the guilt, but our pet sins, the rooms in our house that we've kept locked for years. We've not allowed you to touch it, but Lord, we're giving you the key now, the key to our heart. Open up everything, clean it out only help us to be willing Lord and may you please help us to see the joy of thy salvation help us to experience the happiness and the peace that comes when Jesus is living in and through us may you please do that for us today we pray in Jesus name Amen Uh, friends we are not done yet so don't go home because we have fellowship lunch coming up next so just please give us a few minutes to prepare thank you